ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, borei pri hagafin, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai Mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh Norat ehilot o'osef ele 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabat, la'asot et hashabat la'doratam barit olam, b'nei uvayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam, Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Eternity, 
mystery behind the veil Lord over heaven and earth gotta be his fire come with your wisdom and power clothed in your honor and strength Lord hear the cry of our hearts come conquering King and every eye will see your glory fill the sky Adonai Adonai and every knee will bow to you Lord most high Adonai Adonai you alone are God will Jerusalem waits and praises lifted on high. Hear the beautiful gates long to see you arise. When all Zion sings, Maruka
our Lord over all the earth. King Mithion Tetsetoya, King Mithion Tetsetoya, Urvah Adonai, Meyerushalayim, Baruch Shenatan Torah Baruch Shenatan Torah Torah Leamo Israel Begdushato. Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah, and welcome to our Arab Shabbat service here at B'nai Shalom. Uh, this week, this Sabbath, we move to a new book. We are now have transitions through Genesis and Exodus. We are now at Leviticus. And before I get into the Haftorah portion, I do like to do just a, a little opening with regard to about Leviticus, um, so you can see how it becomes very, very important. In ancient times, this is an interesting little tidbit for you. In ancient times, when your children were first born in Israel, the first instructions of the entire Torah was not Genesis, it was Leviticus. Parents and teachers would teach children about the book of Leviticus first. Uh, and the reason they did that is because the book of Leviticus is the instructions to the priesthood on how to conduct sacrifices being brought to the tabernacle and to the temple. And the second half of the book is teaching about the subject of, we just say, holiness. So the first elementary lessons of the children of Israel, as, until they rose up to where they could be a part of a full Torah study, was to teach them all about the sacrifices at the temple and how to be holy before the Lord. Because with that information, they could now join in going to the tabernacle. They could join in going to the temple in Jerusalem. And they knew what their parents and their fathers were doing when they went to the temple. And they began to learn the faith of the God of Israel from those activities. And they also learned some very, very important spiritual lessons, which is what the book of Leviticus teaches for us that today many people don't understand. I think the reason why a lot of believers don't understand these concepts is because they haven't had the benefit of two things. One, we don't have a temple today where you could see these things happening and process the information about it. And two, they don't have teachers that teach it. Most teachers like to gloss over this. Every time I tell everybody, oh boy, we get to study Leviticus, everybody goes, oh, I, there's a lot of other choices I would have chosen before that. And they don't identify with it. Since we don't have a temple, we don't have priests doing things. I mean, what, what's the benefit of this book for it? So I want to touch on a couple of key things um, about Leviticus so that we'll understand the, the, what is being given to us in the Hoftor. Number one, 
we need to get a, the, defini- the biblical definition of what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice, according to the biblical de- definition, is something that you have of yours that has great value to you. For example, in your flock, one of the firstborn animals, usually some of the stronger animals, that's the kind of sacrifice that you need to make. You need to have an animal that isn't blind or lame or diseased or have a, a, a medical, physical. You need a healthy one. That, that would be a sacrifice to you to give that. Whether it be monetary, which immediately has value to you, the amount and the degree of it, 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 it comes from you. It's a sacrifice for you to do that. Sacrifices as a general word for us represents something of value that you have given or that you lost. That's what a sacrifice is. It's really, uh, in the terms of God, it's a gift. And why would God set up this sacrificial system where to worship him, you would come to this place with an altar and these priests, and you would give this sacrifice to them to be given to the Lord. What benefit is there from that other than a religious exercise, a ritual? Because in other nations, other ancient nations, they used to have animal sacrifice. They even used to sacrifice their kids. What did it mean to them? What were they doing? They were trying to buy something. They were trying to get something out of their God as so that they would, they would get an, and, and the idea of giving a sacrifice is for an exchange. I will give this and you will give me something. And the Lord wanted us to understand this exchange system, but not the way other nations were doing it. Not with false gods. So the first part of Leviticus is going to cover some very basic sacrifices and explain how they're to be presented, how the priests are to present them correctly on behalf of the person sharing them. And so, for example, one of the first things we learn in Leviticus is all about a whole burnt offering. What in the world is a whole burnt offering, and why would you come and do that? Why would you bring a lamb and say this is to be a whole burnt offering, and the entire thing is put up on the altar and burned to the ash. And you don't get anything back. The priests don't get any of it. You don't get any of it. It's just totally 100% consumed in the pyre. Why would you do that? I will tell you why you would do that. Because that would represent, that would represent a total surrender on your part. A total, complete gift on your part. No withholding, no portion going someplace else, not, not, not like the others. Total servanthood and surrender to God. He also talks about a peace offering. So what in the world would that be as opposed to a burnt offering? In the case of a peace offering, some of the stuff comes off and feeds the priests, and, and sometimes some of it's given back to the person who brought it, and they go home and they have a celebration. What, what peace and thanksgiving offering? What, what in the world were those? That was an expression of you coming before God and showing gratitude 
for God's grace and mercy. You're coming before the Lord and you're saying, oh, thank you, Lord, for treating me so good, being kind to me, being merciful to me and my family. And you would eat a celebratory feast before the Lord about that. Now, you've also heard of a thing called a sin offering. Sin means you missed the mark, you made a mistake. And yes, you could bring a sin offering. And that was because you made a mistake and you're sorry about it. Now, a lot of times today, we hear about people who do very grievous sins and they get caught and they get judged and we prove that they did it. However, only some of them are sorry for it. And one of the things that goes into rendering the sentence and the judgment that will be upon the person is, were you really sorry about it? You want to learn how to be sorry for what you've done wrong? You would bring a sin offering. That's how you would learn how to be sorry. Then there's other uh, sacrifices in there that involve the entire congregation. And that was to promote brotherhood and unity in the entire community of those who believe, the entire remnant of Israel, the entire nation, the brotherhood that we share with this God. We need to understand very clearly in our spiritual life to be mature what it is to surrender to God. We need to be thankful and grateful for what God has done for us. We need to be sorry for our sins, and we need to be joined with our brethren with the Lord. That was the reason why these instructions were given. And God was using the sacrificial system, the tabernacle, and the priesthood so that we would learn these things. These are great lessons for little kids to learn. They're incredible lessons for us to learn. Now, despite that we don't have a temple and despite we don't have the priesthood and an altar and those kinds of things to do these today, I still think God wants us to, in our study of the Torah, in our understanding of his instructions, maybe we could get the perspective and the vision spiritually to mature to the point that we would understand what was the effect of those sacrifices and what is the goal that God is trying to teach us. And maybe we could, as the scripture actually says, we could actually make real sacrifices that come from our heart through our lips called sacrifices of praise. Maybe we could make real sacrifices, real things of value from us to the Lord and acknowledge him. That our repentance would be genuine and complete and not holding back anything. That we could truly be in unity with one another as we observe our feasts and festivals you know, before the Lord, that we're given as gifts to us, that we would have that benefit. Now, I just want to do one more last thing with regard to Vayikri before I get to the Haftor. The very first word of this book, Vayikri, and in the Hebrew, that's what the name of the book is, which means, and he called. 
And the rest of Leviticus actually comes from the Septuagint, which means the instructions to the priest, the instructions to the Levites. But the Hebrew word is Vayikra. And this word um, has something very interesting done by the scribes when they write the word. The last letter in the word Vayikra is an Aleph. It's the first letter of the alphabet. The very next word is the word for God, L. And it begins also with an Aleph. So when you're reading the text, you are seeing two Alephs sitting right beside each other. The last letter of the Yikra, the first letter of the word L. The scribes do something very interesting here, which speaks to the definition of a call of God. They take the letter Aleph in Vayikra and they make it small. So sitting next to the next Aleph, the, the next Aleph is big and the one from Vayikra is made small. You can get a scroll out, you can read a humash, you'll see it. They make that letter small. What, what are they trying to communicate? They're trying to say the following, that when you are called by God, you're not built up, you're made smaller. And the reason you're made smaller is so that in your life, God will be made greater. Now, we already have some excellent examples, and I'm not sure if Ephraim is gonna cover this, but let me go ahead and just hint at it. John the Baptist clearly stated this. He was a Levite. He made the statement, I must grow weaker so he may grow stronger. And that's the meaning of the, what the scribes are doing with that word. And that's the deeper meaning to the word, and he called. Now, why does the word there start with the word, and? It's because Leviticus is connected back to something we just read in Exodus. What did we just conclude with Exodus? Oh, it was uh, the construction of the tabernacle. So what the, Moses is trying to say, and after you've heard about the tabernacle, here's the priest who will be doing these things in this tabernacle and what that is all about. So there's great connectivity back to keep in mind your thinking of what the tabernacle is all about and that the priests operating in the tabernacle. I think even though we are not able to go to Jerusalem and see the operating temple. I think we have the capacity. If we have studied the Torah, we can see in our mind's eye the picture of the tabernacle and its elements and its furnishings, and we can see the priest doing these things that he would do in the tabernacle, and thus we have the ability to see this kind of worship and practices before God. And maybe... We might even be inspired enough to see that's what's going on inside of us. That through our high priest, Yeshua the Messiah, that he's created a temple, a tabernacle in us, and that's what we do with him. That he presents sacrifices for us. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about one other thing. 
I talked about the exchange system. We bring sacrifices. And what we're doing is we're bringing sacrifices to set up the understanding of certain things. But there is a, another sacrifice that comes from God called the Lamb of God sacrifice. That's the Messiah. And that sacrifice is the one that really carries the day with God and you. But so why did we bring those others? So that we would understand what he's done for us. You can't really claim the benefit of the salvation of the Messiah if you don't understand what he did for you. And part of the instruction here is to understand this substitution system that God has established and said, if you'll come before me, I have something already and you will walk away a new creation. You will walk away with all of the issues that you came before me basically solved and I'm, I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to give you what you were always hoping for. And it will come from the Lord. And, and we got to understand this exchange system. When I hear Christian teachers suggest, oh, we don't need this. This is not for us anymore. In my heart, I ask myself the following question. Does this guy have any kind of a concept of what the Messiah has done for us? And does he have any kind of an idea as to why God did that and why that's important? Uh, because he's stripped out all of the elementary and base instruction that they used to teach to even children. It's like he hasn't even been taught what children have been taught. Things about the Lord. And he's trying to operate in the world, the spiritual world, in the absence of that information. So that's my introduction to Vayikra. So let's see what the Hoftor has to say. Our portion comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43. It's going to begin at verse 21. Let me read to you some of the words. I think you'll instantly see why this portion is tied together to this first portion of Leviticus with regard to bringing all these different sacrifices and what the priests are to do. Verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Yet you have not called on me, old Jacob, because you have become weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, neither have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Let me just say that right off the bat, when I talked about the suggestion of the, of the substitution system, it can work in the reverse. If you fail to bring a sacrifice before the Lord. If you fail to bring a burnt offering in the surrendering of yourself, well, then you're not surrendering yourself to the Lord. You are, in fact, being defiant in your own way. And 
And if you're not surrendering yourself to the Lord, how are you going to be the bondservant of God? How can you say that you're a real follower of God if God's over here and you're doing your own thing because you won't willing to submit to him? If you're going to be a follower of God, you have to go over and surrender yourself to him. You've got to, you've got to agree that you're going to do what he says. That's a follower of God. But if you're over here with your theology, he says, well, God's over here, and this other stuff is over here, and I, I know it's over there. I know about it. You're not a follower of God. You're not bringing any sacrifices. You're not bringing any burnt offerings. Furthermore, you're taking for granted God's incredible grace and mercy. Let me remind you of the biblical definition. Grace is favor that you get from God that you didn't deserve. Mercy is judgment that you deserved that you didn't get from God. We all desperately need God's grace and mercy to just exist here. And instead of having gratitude for that, and praise is part of the thanksgiving that indicates that, by separating ourselves and diminishing that, we've lost the understanding of what grace is and what mercy is to the extent that we have some Christians walking around in their thinking, oh, well, because I have God's grace, and I have his forgiveness, basically, I don't have to worry about any of my specific behaviors. God will cover that. I can go ahead and have secret sins. You know, God's going to forgive me. I can go on and, and not be the person that God wants me to be in my community, with my family, or what. See, I have God's grace. He's going to forgive me. Let me tell you something about God's grace. The first time that you think you deserve it, or you're entitled to it, or you quote, I've got it, you just fell from it, and you don't have it. Because grace is not something that you deserve. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't theologically say, oh, yeah, I got it. And the same thing is true of mercy. Bad things happen to people. Sometimes God is going to give you back, measure for measure, some misbehavior, and you're going to get have to hold in it, be held accountable for it. Now, if you want to have mercy where you're able to escape all the harm that comes from your misbehavior, then you have to understand, oh my gosh, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated well. I deserve judgment. And it motivates you into remorse, not only toward him, but to other people. So that you begin to minimize and reduce your sins. So this grace-mercy thing does all kinds of good things for you, and, and it gets rid of the bad things out of your life. If, but if you don't understand that, and you continue right on down the path you want to go, well, then you have taken his grace and mercy for granted. You have not brought a thanksgiving offering. You've not brought a peace offering to the Lord.
if you, uh, as he says, continue on, if you don't bring the sweet things, you've brought no sweet cane. You know, certain holidays that we have that are in the festivals, we actually bring sweet things. It's to indicate to us happiness and, and so forth. Uh, for example, at um, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, we will make this decorative bread, this loaf. It's made in a round shape, custom-wise, which means the turn of the year and how the, you know, the world goes round and round. And so we have this round bread. And then we sprinkle it with candies and sweet things on it. And we nibble on this and we say to one another, may you have a sweet new year. I mean, just a little greeting like that, that you take stock of your life, where you're at in life and so forth. He says, you're not bringing any of that to me. You're not taking into account your life. In fact, your life is pretty dull. In fact, your life is so dull and so misguided that all you're doing is coming up to my altar and piling a heap of sins and iniquities before me, but you're not doing anything about it. I see them all. They're all there in front of me, and they just keep piling up, and nothing gets done about it. Well, you know what happened to Israel? Israel got judged for that. And God said, you know what? Um... I gave you this promised land. I promised it to your father, Abraham. I gave it to you, his descendants. And if you're going to misbehave and you're not going to recognize what I am doing here and making you a nation, rising you up above all of the nations and so forth, I'm just going to kick you out of the land. I'm just going to let you go out and make your own way with the other nations. And you're going to find out what it's like to lose me. And so that's some of the primary warnings that are given to us by the prophets. And in this particular portion, Isaiah is warning them about these are going to be the consequences if you don't start getting with the program. Let me continue to read for you a little bit further. Chapter 43, verse 25 I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. Did you hear that? God forgives you of your sins and transgressions against his commandments for his own sake. Why would he do that? Because he wants to be the God of a holy people. He wants to be the God of those that are his servants and love life, and choose life. He, he, those are the people he wants in his kingdom, and he's willing to pay the price and do what it takes to get you there. Let me read. Continuing on. And I will not remember your sins. Whew. He's going to do this and not even bring it back up again. He's never going to come back and leverage you and say, hey, don't you remember when I forgive that sin over there? You know, so no. He's going to forgive it and forget it. He's going to give you a clean slate so that you're free to make the decisions that you need to make about how you walk out your life. 
Verse 26, put me in remembrance and let us argue our case together. State your case that you may be proved right. Your first forefather sinned and your spokesmen have transgressed against me. So I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary and I will consign Jacob to the ban and Israel to revilement. Come, sit down with me. Let's let's discuss this. You're 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 you you committed yourself to obey me, but you decided not to. You said that you would treat me like I'm God. Yet you kind of treat me like one of your friends, which you're not too friendly with sometimes. You know, the whole relationship that you have with me is not the relationship that I, God, wanted to have with you. It's not the one you said you would agree to. It's not, you're not living it out. You're not part of me. So you know what? This is my land. Why don't you move over and I will treat you the way you've been treating me? Now, while many of you listening to me may say, oh, that's what happened to Israel. That's what happened to the ancients and so forth. <clears throat> let, me, um, let me make a comment to you. According to Jeremiah, yours and my sins in this day where we're scattered in the nations, they're worse than what our fathers did in the land. We deserve exile even more than they did. Now, we got here because of them, but the reason why we have problems where we're at is not because of their mistake. We are even worse than them. We are the ones who truly need forgiveness for our transgressions. And we've been transgressing like this for hundreds of years. Oh, boy. But I have good news for you. Let me read to you these final words of chapter 44. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Yeshurun, that's the honorable name for Israel, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. Thus one will say, I am the Lord's, and one will call upon the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and will name Israel's name with honor. I got some good news and bad news for you. As long as you don't get your act together, the good news is God's going to deal with you and your judgments. But the good thing, your offspring, God is still going to be faithful, and he's going to raise them up and forgive them. And he's make them part of the kingdom. It seems to me, wouldn't we like to be with our offspring? I mean, I, I, I'm at the point now where I'm in my 70s. And, and one of the things I truly enjoy is being around my children and my grandchildren. I, I think often 
When I see my grandchildren, I think often of what their lives will be like and what will they grow up and what will they do. You know, I remember my life and, and, and things like that. And I'm, and I'm concerned for them. I've, I've said to my own son concerning the situation of the world, I fear for my grandchildren. How would you like to be completely cut off from them? Seems to me, I, let's do the things that would promote that relationship and so we could be a part of that. Don't get judged by God so God can take your children and grandchildren to do great things. Get with the program now and be with them. That is our Haftor portion that goes with the first portion of Vayikra. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn in your Bibles now uh, to the book of 1 Timothy. Hold your finger at chapter 5 where our Brit Hadashah uh, portion will begin. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives, for everything uh, that is going on. Father, I pray that we now take this time and this opportunity on this Sabbath to focus on your word, your teaching, your instruction. And we thank you, Lord, once again, that we can dig into these passages of the New Testament and that you can minister to, our, uh, to us, strengthen us as we follow along with the Torah cycle and follow along with your word uh, as it is living and alive and powerful. So, Father, we thank you for all of this teaching all of this instruction and for your word once again. We thank you for all of these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is Vayikra, which is the very first portion of Leviticus, the Hebrew book called Vayikra, um, which is now that we have uh, completed the book of Exodus, the construction of the tabernacle, and all those things, we now have the uh, instruction coming to Moses from the Lord, shifting now to the giving of sacrifices and the operation of the tabernacle. It does not do that for the entire book of Leviticus. And what it does is the first part, it does focus on the offerings and the types of sacrifices that were given to the Lord at the tabernacle and through the altar. But the entire book as a whole is for all people to uh, follow. There's many more commandments in the book of Leviticus for us to learn to walk uprightly before the Lord in all of these instructions. And so one of the things just right off the bat when it comes to the book of Leviticus is to not consider the book of Leviticus to be something that is old, archaic, ancient, and that we don't need to know any of these things anymore. Even though we don't have an altar and an operating priesthood and an operating temple in the world today, it does not mean that any of these instructions are, uh, are not applicable for us to either learn, learn from or learn the principles of even in modern times. This book of Leviticus, uh, the, the very first verse of Leviticus, uh, talks about how when someone wants to bring an offering before the Lord, that they were to bring an offering of themselves before the Lord. Right off the bat, one of the first things that, to learn from uh, this book as we enter into these uh, passages, talking about the book of Leviticus, and of course tying them in to the New Testament readings, is that we are to understand what all of this is about giving a gift to the Lord for desiring to give to the Lord as in a way that He has prescribed for us to give to Him because we love God, because we're in covenant with the Lord, and because He's made a way for us to worship Him with the giving of gifts and offerings. That's the purpose of the offerings. 
Many people are, have the misconception that all the offerings, all they had to do was payment for sin. That all you ever did was you went and you killed a lamb, you committed a sin, you killed a lamb, and that's now you're forgiven for your sin. That is a complete oversimplification of the giving of the offerings of the tabernacle of the altar to the Lord. It was when somebody wanted to give of themselves. In fact, one of the things, the first passage here that I want to tie into is this, that when somebody wanted to give an offering, they were to give an offering of themselves. They were offering themselves before the Lord. It's not just something that you had lying around like a lamb or a, a, some grain, some flour, or a bottle of wine, and you went to give that to the Lord because you just had it lying around, and you're like, ah, oh, that's nice. Maybe I'll give that to the Lord. No, every offering was to be an offering that you were giving from your inwardmost being, from almost like you were giving a part of yourself to the Lord. Now, that obviously doesn't mean that we're, you know, chopping off parts of our body and giving that to the Lord. But when it comes to the whole idea of giving an offering or making a sacrifice before the Lord, you are serving Him. It is a sacrifice. It's something that had value to you or a part of you that was worth something is what you give to the Lord. And so in the times in which people had flocks for their livelihood, the giving of a lamb or a goat or a bull was something that could be given and offered up to the Lord on the altar of God. And so whenever you were giving this offering, there was a connection that you are to make with that animal that was being given. And what you were meant to do was you were supposed to lay your hands upon the animal that you were giving before the Lord. This establishes a connection, a physical connection between you and that animal. There's actually, uh, there's greater spiritual implications of when you take your hand and you lay it upon something. Now, it's a misconception that people think that whenever you laid your hands upon a sacrifice, that what you were doing was you were laying your sins upon that animal. You were, that you were laying the burdens of your sin upon the animal, and then that, bur that animal was then killed and sacrificed, and hence causing your sin to become no more because you took the sin from your body, you laid it on this innocent animal, and then it was killed so that your sin vanishes or disappears or goes up in smoke. That is not what the purpose of the connection, of the physical connection between a person and the animal was. Because even on certain sacrifices that were not associated with sin which if you study this Torah portion, you'll learn that there's seven types of, of sacrifices that are um, that only two of them have to do with sin. The other ones have to do with you loving the Lord and wanting to give a gift to Him. So there are some sacrifices that had nothing to do with sin that you still laid your hands upon. So it's not a, that your sin is, is, is transferring from your hand, down your arm, through your hand, into onto the animal so it could be then sacrificed. No, it was that you were giving a part of yourself creating that physical connection between you and that thing being offering, that it was then offered as a part of you. That's another, once again, this is this misconception, this connection that is made when hands form and come in contact with another animal or another person. This I've tied into my uh, 21 Acts of Covenant teaching as well, that the connection of what you put your hand and what you connect with and what you touch with your hands establishes a spiritual connection beyond a physical one. That when you shake hands with somebody, you're beginning a covenant relationship with that person because of that physical connection that you make with them. 
Hence, that brings us here to our first passage for the day in 1 Timothy chapter 5. When it's talking about giving honor to elders, obviously Timothy is receiving this instruction uh, from Paul and that he is teaching Timothy things that you need to watch out for as you're an overseer or an elder and as you go to minister. These are things you need to pay attention to, that you need to watch out for. This is where in this passage, starting at verse 17, it talks about how when elders, they, they rule over the people, they are counted worthy of double honor, and that you shall not muzzle out the ox that treads out the grain, and a laborer is worth his wages, and making sure that people are taken care of who fill in as the office of elder. It talks about how that you're not to um, listen to any uh, any uh, accusation of an elder without two or three witnesses, and there's some practical instruction about teaching somebody how to be an elder and how to rule in a community. There's a very curious passage here, verse, I should say, at verse 22 of 1 Timothy 5, where it says this, Do not lay your hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Very fascinating passage of Scripture here that ties, and, and this, this word of warning that ties, of course, directly into this idea of the giving of the offerings to the Lord. Do not lay your hands on anyone hastily, nor or you will share in their sins. This goes back to that spiritual slash physical connection that happens when you make physical contact with somebody. It's not just a physical connection of shaking someone's hand or laying your hand upon something. But, there's, but the scripture and there's an understanding that there's something more spiritual going on here. How is it that you just touch somebody who might be a sinner that you then partake in their sin? Well, you might not know what sin they have. You might not know what uncleanness is upon them from their sin. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about um, leprosy. We're going to talk about, um, you know, what it means to actually have your sin manifest into a physical resemblance or a physical evidence on your skin that shows that somebody is sinning. Those ones are obvious. You're like, oh, that, the, the, somebody that looks kind of gross. You don't want to touch that. And it's like you, you instantly feel like if you touch that, you'll become unclean. And, that's, and then I, I might, some of that sin might get on me if that's a leprosy that's caused by sin. With other people, you might not see that leprosy. You might not, might not be so obvious what somebody might be struggling with or have the kind of sin that's in their lives. And so this counsel that's going to Timothy here is this. Do not hastily go lay hands on somebody. Perhaps that you, have, you take some, uh, um, some precaution when it comes to you going, and if you're going to go pray for somebody, and if you're going to go minister to somebody, that you might need to use some sound judgment, some wise discernment to before you decide that you're going to lay hands on somebody, you're going to pray for them, or you're going to encourage them or minister to them. With all of that said, what can we take from this? It's very important what you actually physically make contact with. It's very important. It's something that we should actually realize the importance or the, the uh, significance of it. Because if you're thinking about going back again to the giving of an offering, this would have been one of the most important or spiritual moments of your life if you were ever had the opportunity to take an animal and go give an offering before the Lord. You're talking about you know, we could think about in modern times, we have, uh, you know, you pass the plate and you, you, you give a donation, a financial offering before the Lord, or perhaps you give a worship or a praise offering before the Lord. 
And we do this all the time in our congregations, in our fellowships, and things like that. And we somehow just, we don't put a lot of weight in the, or stock in the fact that we're truly giving a sacrifice to the Lord in the only way that we can appropriately without an altar. But if there was an operating altar, if there was that system by which you can give to the Lord that way, this would have been an incredibly spiritual experience. And you would follow the procedure accordingly and you'd work with the priest and make sure you did all of this right and appropriately and according to the Lord. You would prepare your heart before you would ever do, so, do any of these things. And so on that same token, if you're going through that process and that procedure, when it came time to you to put your hands upon that animal... The, 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 because of uh, the procedure and the um, order of things when it came to giving, giving a sacrifice before the Lord, that would have been a very poignant moment. It would, it would, not, uh, it, it would not befall you that, that you're um, doing something extremely significant at this time when you're we're instructed to by the priest to lay your hands upon that animal. Very important, very significant. And so we need to sort of understand that in our day-to-day lives. You can look down at your hands and say, you know, it's like what I touch, what I do is so much more significant than just the, the physical act of it, but that there is sometimes spiritual implications as well. And that's what we learn from the altar service, from the giving of these offerings and these sacrifices. So as we um, go through... Um, these passages here in the New Testament, we have several other ones that tie directly into our Torah portion. If you would now turn to Romans chapter 8. It seems to me that when, uh, when I'm going through and trying to come up with messages and teachings, man, Romans chapter 8 usually seems to come up quite often. It's one pro- quite possibly one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And so, but there, there's another... Um, Another instance in which what is being spoken here by Paul in the book of Romans does uh, impact or does have um, a connection to the sacrifices that are given to us in the book of Leviticus. As I said before, I've been bringing out the fact that there's a connection between what is spiritual and what is physical. You cannot just physically go through the act of giving an offering to the Lord if you have not spiritually weighed the brevity of you giving a gift to the Lord. You wouldn't just go and go through the act without thinking about it or or trying to find significance in it. No, what would happen first is you would have a stirring in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit that you would say, I want to give a gift to the Lord. And then the physical act will follow. And that's going to be a theme here for the rest of our teaching is this whole idea of remembering spiritually what's going on and not just focusing on the physical act of making a sacrifice. Let me read here now Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, Yeshua, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life is Christ Yeshua has made me free with the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of his sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to their flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you who are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he is not his. And if Christ is, uh, is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is this fascinating passage of scripture talking about the contrast between the spirit and the flesh for us to not be physically minded, carnally minded, but spiritually minded on the Lord. This is exactly the sort of um, balance in that you one had to weigh when one was giving an offering before the Lord. We could look at the sacrifices and, and what was given at the, in the altar and the, at the tabernacle and that um, one would give this offering, make this sacrifice, kill this animal, and go to give to the Lord. And we might, like once, as I said before, we might think just physically, I'm doing this act because I need to, because I sinned, and so therefore I have to give this sacrifice or this offering. Or everybody else is doing it, I'm going to give an offering before the Lord as well. That's, carnal, that's the carnal mind. That's the physical mind. That's the fleshly mind that just says, hey, I just got to do this and go through the act and go through the motions. But if the Spirit of God is actually inside of us in the process of that giving, then we are giving a righteous and right and appropriate offering before the Lord. Is God going to regard our offering, the God of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that knows our thoughts, knows thoughts and intents of the heart, knows, you know, what we think, what we feel, all of those things. If you're just going to go through the motions and not really give weight and brevity to the fact that you're giving an offering before the Lord, is that going to be an acceptable offering before the Lord? Of course not. You could go through the act, but it, it would count as nothing in the eyes of the Lord if you're not understanding the weight of it, the weight and, and, and the significance of you giving a gift to the creator of heaven and earth. That is what our focus needs to be. And so, again, he ties, of course, directly the sacrifice of Yeshua to the giving of a sacrifice or an offering in the tabernacle or the temple is that he came and he was the, the propitiation, the payment for our sins, and he came in the form of sinful flesh so that then it could be fulfilled, the idea of when you go to make a sacrifice before the Lord, when you have sinned before the Lord and you have sinned uh, um, willfully and defiantly, what you actually deserve is you deserve death, you deserve punishment, and Yeshua gave us that fulfillment and that picture of what a sacrifice truly should be. I said before that when you, you made that connection with the animal that was being offered, that you weren't laying your sins upon it. But what you were to realize is the fact that what is about to be killed is an is a innocent animal, and that for your sin, your mistake, actually you should be receiving punishment, not the innocent animal. 
And whenever you gave a sin offering, that is something that would weigh heavily upon you. You, you couldn't help but think of it that way. The fact that, you know, it's like I committed a sin and I'm, I'm, I, I deserve to be punished for that. And so then the sacrifice is now a substitution for my sin. This, the, the, the temple service and all of the giving of the offerings given to us in Leviticus gives us the precedent for which God accepts a substitute for our sins and our mistakes and what our punishment should be. And without that system in place, without that precedent, we could not have the sacrifice of Messiah. I like to say, and I like to think that the sacrifice of the Messiah is, um, is a perfect example of and, and a fulfillment, not to do away with, but a fulfillment to make perfect and fill up full of meaning all the different sacrifices of the altar. In fact, in the course of his sacrifice, when he came before the priest, the high priest, that he went through all of the proper channels, was observed by a priest, and that through the entire, all the stages of the cross, and all the way up through the crucifixion, he went through the process and procedure that a lamb would go through if it was going to be offered before the Lord as well. The sacrificial system and the way the priests and the the offerings were given and the way that that altar and tabernacle operated were the same procedures that made the sacrifice of Yeshua to be an acceptable offering before the Lord. And that he gives this fulfillment of what those offerings truly are to mean. And here, that, that's not lost on me when I read these words and see that it's the Messiah himself, the Son of God, that came in the likeness of sinful flesh yet and, and went through the process of being sacrificed, that we ourselves spiritually, that's what's happening with us every time that we sin, is that we to get back in right standing before the Lord, we have to go through the right proper and procedures, present ourselves to be clean, right, appropriate, And that right up to that point when it's time to actually make a cut and give a life for the payment of that sin, then somebody stops us and says, your payment has already been made. See, that's what we're supposed to understand when we sin. And that's what Yeshua has done for us. That we understand the process, the procedure of what we should have to go through, but right up to the point in which punishment would come, somebody says, you know what, your check's been covered. Yeah, you, you do not have to, 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 to give of yourself and cause harm to yourself to make this payment. Instead, there's a substitute that has been made and can be made on your behalf. And what an amazing blessing that is. Here's the thing about all of the, once again, those physical sacrifices that all take place or took place is that, yeah, there, there's the physical act of doing it. But before you ever got to that point, spiritually in your mind, you have to make sure that you have done the right and appropriate things before you even get to that point. I like to look at the offerings in in this way, that giving the offering to God puts us back into right standing with the Lord. It allows for us to enter into the presence of the Lord. Whenever that offering was brought, it went to the brazen altar. You were never able to go all the way into the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, That's where the presence of God dwells. But for you to get even that close to it, you had to bring something. You had to bring an offering. One could sit in the camp, if you're you're picturing the the camp of the children of Israel, 
One could sit in the camp of the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai in the wilderness, and there the tabernacle gets erected, and then suddenly it's, uh, you know, that's where offerings are being given, and we see the presence of the Lord, we see a pillar of cloud, we still see a pillar of fire, and there's the Lord in the camp. One could sit in their tent and say, you know what, uh, I'm good. You know, I don't need to go into, I, need, I don't need to get any closer to the Lord. But then the thing is this, is that the person who truly has a heart after God? Or would somebody who truly is zealous for their God to worship the Lord, wouldn't they want to get closer to the Lord? Well, maybe they would. So you know what? I'm going to leave my tent and I'm going to go to get closer to the Lord. But then the priest would stop you and say, okay, you can't go any further. Here's the outer court. You can't enter in even into the outer court unless you have business with the Lord. And it's like, well, no, I desire to be closer to the Lord, to be in the presence of God. So you know what you could do? Bring an offering. Bring a peace offering. Bring a love offering. Bring, bring something that you want to give to the Lord. And in the process of doing that, you are able to get even closer to Him. That's what the offerings gave you an opportunity to do, to get closer to the Lord. But you know what you had to do if you sinned? If you made a mistake, if you wronged one of your brethren... It was not appropriate for you to go into the presence of the Lord unless that sin gets taken care of, unless it gets dealt with. And it would be very wise for you to understand, you know what? You're not allowed to go and give a peace offering to the Lord, a Thanksgiving offering, if you still have an open issue with you and your brother. Or if you have not yet given that sin offering or a trespass offering to the Lord so that you can enter back into that presence... And then you can then consider giving that peace offering or that love offering to the Lord again. You have to deal with the sin before you're allowed to enter back into the presence of God. That's what the sin sacrifices truly were for. It was well understood that if you were going to give an offering before the Lord, you were to have made restitution with your brother who you wronged before you even get to that point. Forgiveness did not come... Because that offering was given to the Lord. Forgiveness came is because the person you wronged forgave you. That's how you receive forgiveness. And so in the course of the giving of these sacrifices, that is something we need to understand from the very beginning that we have to make restitution with our brother who we wronged before we bring that offering. Here's the other thing we have to know about all those sin offerings. These offerings were for unintentional sin. If you unintentionally sinned against your brother, if you did not mean to do harm, you did not mean to do wrong, but hence you still did, that's what you were to bring an offering for. There was no sin for willful, or there was no payment or sacrifice for willful defiant sin. It just didn't exist. You can read all the Torah all you want and you will not find it because what you will find, it says somebody who sins defiantly and willfully, they deserve death. There's no payment. There's no sacrifice. You're not getting back in right standing with the Lord. You go to the edge of the city and you die. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what do we do about that? <laughs> because we all have willfully, defiantly sinned. We have. We've all made that mistake. We have all have allowed uh, selfishness or greed to fill our hearts. And, you know, it's like we know something is wrong. We know we shouldn't do it. Yeah, we do it anyways. Willfully, defiantly. There's no payment, no sacrifice, no bull, no goat, no turtle dove that you can offer that fixes that sin, except for the sacrifice of Messiah. That is what the Messiah did by him actually dying of himself, not giving an, uh, sacrificing an animal on your behalf, but for him to actually die as a substitution for our sins is that 
payment for willful divine sin because we all, die, we all deserve death for that sin. With that as a prerequisite and a pref, uh, a, um, uh, j just to get all that out of the way first, now let us turn to another passage here in the New Testament. Let us now turn to Hebrews chapter 10. This is traditional reading for this uh, Torah portion, specifically talking about animal sacrifices and the offerings. And, and the, the book of Hebrews uh, describes this very interesting comparison between the Levitical priesthood, the tabernacle, the temple, all the different types of sacrifices, and what Yeshua is to us. It brings out the great point of the fact that Yeshua is our high priest. Yes, there was a high priest in the tabernacle and the temple, and he did all these things, but Yeshua is our high priest. Some of those things are brought out here in the book of Hebrews. And here we have the passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that is specifically talking about these sacrifices and about what sin they cover or don't cover. Now keep in mind what I just said previously about no sin or no sacrifice being a payment for willful defiant sin. Keep that in mind as we now read this passage. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by the year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God." Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which you offered, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. But that we but that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Yeshua the Messiah once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified." Here's, it's making this distinction by the fact that Yeshua's single sacrifice changed something, made something perfect. And that's exactly what I agree 100% that Yeshua's sacrifice made something perfect. It made perfect the substitutionary system in the law that we now have a payment for something we didn't previously have a payment for, willful, defiant sin. Those that we're, that, that we're bringing before the Lord. I mean, it's all like anything that we could bring, we still were unclean in our sin by the fact that everyone willfully, defiantly sins and doesn't die immediately because of it. We, none of us could be pure in the course of bringing an offering before the Lord. 
We all had something else going on, even though we, did, we were following the law with all of our hearts to give these sacrifices and these offerings. But Yeshua's sacrifice makes everything perfect by the fact that we now have a payment for the thing that we needed the most and that it has purified those and that they are now sanctified who can now come before the Lord and who can now worship Him rightly and appropriately. It's talking about how the priests, you know, they, they gave these offerings and these daily sacrifices constantly. It's like, but they couldn't take away sins. You're right. They did not take away the sins. Even the sin sacrifices didn't take away the sins. And as I said, I said before, forgiveness came from the person you wronged, not from the, uh, not from the giving of the sacrifice. And so the, this whole idea of that saying that, yeah, you, we can do these offerings. These offerings were given, but it didn't take away sins. Yeah, that, that's actually what was understood. Because as I said before, there was many of these offerings that were given, that you gave this gift to the Lord because you loved the Lord. If one simply thinks that only the offerings, all they ever had to do with was for payment for sin, then you are seriously missing the purpose of the altar and the temple service. You're missing the point because it wasn't all about, all about sins. If you did look at it as being all about sins, well, then you would know, well, man, everybody has sinned and there's no payment and there's no way to pay for it. The blood of bulls and goats never took away sins. Nope, never did. It really didn't. But what it did is it was the payment that you gave. It was the, it was the offering of yourself that you gave because your heart desired to be back into the presence of God. That's what it was for. That's why you gave the offering was to enter back in to the presence of God. If you go ahead a couple of cha uh, chapters in the book of Hebrews, also to chapter 13, beginning at verse 10, it says this, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Yeshua also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his repro reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. This is bringing out the point and the understanding that because we now follow Yeshua and his example, we go and see the sacrifice that he made being taken outside of the camp because this was actually a passage to me that encourages those that are now no longer in Jerusalem, now no longer able to go to the altar that is not in place, it's been torn down many, many years ago, and we now have a way to still give an offering to the Lord with the example that Yeshua gave. Though we are outside the camp, Though Yeshua's sacrifice was outside the camp, it still was an acceptable sacrifice before the Lord. And in the same way that though we find ourselves exiled into the nations, we still can give an offering to the Lord, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. That's the type of offering that we give today. That through our hearts, we, we can sing praises to Him. We can pray before Him. We can exalt His name and honor Him. 
in everything that we say and, and, and do. And that's the offering that we are able to give today in the absence of an altar. Now, some, some people might say that Yeshua's sacrifice was the, final, uh, was the final sacrifice to where now that the temple has been done away with, that now there's no plan or purpose for that offering or those, those offerings to be given in any way, shape, or form, for there to no longer ever need to be an altar and never to make sacrifice before the Lord. That is never what is being addressed here in the book of Hebrews or in anywhere else when you're talking about simply the sin offerings of the tabernacle. Because there still were offerings that were done that was, you were to give to the Lord because you loved the Lord. If there was ever to be an altar that was going to be set up again, we should still have the, pers- be, have the heart to be the one that goes to enter into the presence of God, to be with the presence of God, and to bring an offering to Him, and not be the person that's sitting in the camp and saying, oh, all of that, eh, that that's not for me. I don't need to get any closer to the presence of God. No, the, the whole purpose of all of these things, because Yeshua's payment, his sacrifice, was the payment for willful, defiant sin, doesn't mean that he did away with the way that we give to the Lord because we love the Lord. A peace offering to give to the Lord is not done away with because a, a certain type of sin now has a payment for it. It doesn't work that way. What's being addressed specifically here is now Yeshua's sacrifice is that payment for willful defiant sin. And even in the absence of an altar, we can still give praises and sacrifices and offerings to Him in other ways. We should look for all the ways it is possible to give an offering before the Lord, all of them. If we had an altar and can offer something to the Lord in that way, physically, we should. We should have a heart's desire to do that and spiritually inclined to give that way. If we can't do that, then we should give praises and sing praises and worship the Lord in that way. We should find every possible way it is to give to God. We should find that way and we should do it if we have a heart and we love Him and we worship Him. One last thing that I want to uh, mention, if we go to Colossians, the book of Colossians in chapter 2 at verse 13, it says this, And you being dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us and which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing uh, triumphing over them in it. Some might say that Yeshua and his sacrifice, that he nailed the Torah and the law to the cross. That is, I believe, a misappropriation or, or uh, you're misspeaking if you say that. What it says here is he nailed our trespass to the cross, our trespass, our sin, our, the thing that we did that we shouldn't have done. That's what was nailed to the cross. That was what was taken away from us was the sin. As it said before in Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats didn't take away any sin, especially willful defiant sin. But Yeshua's sacrifice did because it took away the trespass and the sin that we have committed. 
That's what was nailed to the cross. Not the law, not the commandments, not the Ten Commandments, not the uh, uh, idea of giving an offering before the Lord because you love Him, not the kosher laws, not the holiness laws in the midst of the book of Leviticus. Those were not nailed to the cross, so we don't have to deal with them anymore. Our trespass and the, the, the sin that infests our lives, that's what was taken and put upon the cross. That is what I would like that we need to focus on for anyone who might come along and say that the law is done away with, that the sacrifices are done away with, that the commandments are done away with. Believe you me, Yeshua did not come to take away the thing that he was the author of, that he was the, the lawgiver, and he didn't come to take away and do away with the thing that made him the acceptable Lamb of God's sacrifice for our sins. He did not come to do away with those things, but he came to fulfill those things. And fulfill his sacrifice did for our willful defiant sin. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for this teaching, this instruction. Father, we thank you for the Word of God, the encouragement that it can be, the, the teaching and the knowledge that it gives to us. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for choosing us from among all peoples, for teaching us these things, for encouraging us with your Word and your instruction. As we study it every single week, as the people uh, dig into your Word, Father, not just every week, but I pray that we would be opening the Scripture every day and letting it continue to nourish us and feed us as daily bread does. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for these words, these instructions, for the Torah portion of Vayikra, and that you would continue to keep your people safe, lead us and guide us with your Holy Spirit, and surround us in your perfect will. We pray all of these things on this Sabbath day in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.